Hey, well, good morning, Rocky Peak. Great to see you. Have a seat. A uh, couple uh, announcements to share with you before we go into our time of teaching. A couple really big picture uh, things. Number one is that hopefully this week you got a letter from, uh, from myself, from Joel, uh, about this call of God on their life to Canada. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's exciting for them. Uh, you know, when, when you get called to Canada, you know it's a call of God, right? Because like no one would go there, right? Like this is like, go to Minneapolis, go due north about four or five hours, past the line where it's freezing, to beyond freezing, and that's their new home, Thunder Bay. And so uh, we are excited for them. Uh, obviously sad, it's been bittersweet for us, uh, but it's been exciting to watch God work this process. And so we're gonna be celebrating them on Memorial Day weekend, will be their last weekend, Joel's last weekend here. I've asked him to teach that day, to bring us the word. It won't be a, a message in series, it'll be out of series. So has freedom to just share his heart with us one last time. And uh, that day we'll have uh, either a barbecue, we'll bring the food trucks, we'll do something special that day just to celebrate, love on them, and then also to, uh, to kind of welcome in the summer, Labor uh, with uh, Memorial Day weekend. So uh, mark that on your calendars. Secondly, um, I want to give you an update on the assignment because it's been a while since I've talked to you about that. Uh, for those of you who were here last fall, you know, it was a very special time in the life of our church. We felt like God was stirring our hearts in a fresh way to join him in his movement of seeking and saving the lost, to share the message of Jesus with those who don't know, and this assignment he's given us and his followers. And so uh, part of that assignment was to enlarge and refresh our campus, just to create space and a place for, for people to come. And so I, I haven't talked for a long time. I want to give you an update on where we're at with that. So if you remember, at that time, we asked you as a church to go before God, kind of seek him, what he's putting in your heart, and what you would commit for over the next three years, kind of over above your normal giving, to, to make this vision a reality. And as a church, we committed about five and a quarter million dollars to that project. So uh, I want to give you an update uh, financially. Where we're at right now is that over $2 million has already come in. And so we're well on our way, and I want to thank those of you who have been just so faithful, keeping your commitments, ask you to continue to keep that up, because obviously that cash flow will be, you know, the key to this whole thing. Uh, secondly, an uh, update on our bank. Uh, remember last fall, I shared with you that our bank had, uh, had approached us, were willing to give us about a million dollars as a construction loan, because the gifts, you know, contributions are going to come in over a three-month period of time. And so uh, just a short-term loan to, uh, to help build the thing while, uh, while that money is coming in. And so they said, if you hit these targets, they give us certain targets, then we will uh, be able to loan you a million. Well, they've been so impressed with what's going on here that they've actually come back and said, we'd like to give you more money. We want to raise it to $1.2 million. So that's yeah. awesome. And so that's fantastic. Third thing is that I share with you last fall that uh, last summer, someone had, had given an estate to Rocky Peak. They don't even go here, but they'd given us their estate. And uh, part of that was a house in Simi Valley, and so we put that up for sale. I got it appraised, and it, we, the, the purchase price came in very quickly at $20,000 more than we were asking for it. And so that's coming in, so that probate will soon be closing, and that's uh, over a half million dollars, $550,000 will be coming in for the project, which is another huge win. Uh, and then, uh, for those of you who are not aware, the project has actually already started. Uh, over in the, the office we used to call the D building uh, on the far side of our campus, in order for us to transform the middle building here, the big building, uh, into a kids center, which is one of our highest priorities, uh, to just create a great kids ministry. Uh, in order to do that, we were going to have to transform the D building into adult meeting space. And so we've done that now. If you haven't been in there, I encourage you to stop by. We've changed the name. It's now called The Summit. It's not completely done. We're still working on some lighting issues and some furniture issues, but we're using it. And if you haven't been in there, I'd really recommend sticking it. It's just exciting to see uh, what's happened. And then outside, you'll definitely want to check out the bathrooms, the new bathrooms, because they are the hot spot on this campus. I'm telling you. <laughs> They are the coolest spot in the whole campus. Uh, a few weeks ago, when we first opened up, uh, 9 o'clock service, we went in and we had found two high school girls just hanging out, you know, texting, talking. Like, what are you guys doing? We just love this place. It's so awesome. And so we're thinking in the fall of starting a new life group in there. We're calling it for the, <laughs> for the down and outers. Uh, anyway, uh, so uh, check it out. It's exciting to see. So the plan originally was to launch this, the kind of refurbishing of this, uh, re redesign of this worship center uh, right after Easter, about now. But as often goes with construction uh, projects, it's going slower than we had hoped. 
Um, and so, but we, we have received the plans back from the city, and uh, there are some changes they want, but nothing that's horrific. Uh, we're still working on a couple issues. Once we nail down those plans, they go to our, uh, all the contractors for final bids, and then we'll be able to decide uh, the scope that we, we would love to do, both this center and the kids' center at the same time, but that will all be dependent on cash flow, giving, and so on, so, and the price. So we're going to get all that together, uh, figure it out, but our hope is to begin then this summer, and that's supposed to take about five months to complete that whole project, and so we're still looking at the first of the year, hopefully going the first of the year, with brand new worship center and kids center uh, online and ready to go. And so uh, it's just been a long time since I've talked to you about that. I wanted to let you know what was happening, uh, but exciting times, and wanted to share that. So in a couple minutes, we're going to go into uh, a time of uh, teaching. You probably thought I was done, was going to close in prayer. Uh, <laughs> A, uh, but anyway, we're not. We're going to go to some teaching. But I'd like you to stand up right now. Uh, turn your cell phones off. Greet one another, and I'll get ready to teach. Hey, if you are new, I want to welcome you. Uh, my name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we're going to go into our time of teaching right now. We do this every week, and inside your program is a message note sheet. You'll definitely want to take that out and help you follow along. And uh, if you guys are all set, uh, I'm ready to go. You guys ready? Yeah. All right. Let's 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 go. Father, thank you so much that we can be here. Uh, we're excited about what you're doing in our lives and our church, and it's just great to be able to gather around your word again and kind of get our marching orders for this week to learn a little bit more about what it means to follow you. And so we pray that you'd meet us in a powerful way. Just give us a great time of uh, a learning from you as your Holy Spirit takes the, takes the word, takes the things we're studying, and applies them personally to our lives. And we pray it in your name. Amen. Well, for those of you who are new, uh, not only want to welcome you, but uh, give you just a, a brief update on this series. We're in the midst of a series called Jesus the King, which is a, a study of the life of Jesus as seen through the eyes of one of the key leaders of the early movement of Jesus, uh, a man by the name of Mark. And so he writes this account called the Gospel of Mark. It's based on the firsthand experiences and, and, and uh, 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 teaching uh, that was heard from the Apostle Peter. So Mark was a close friend, associate of the Apostle Peter. Uh, this, uh, he writes this, this, uh, this gospel about 35 years uh, after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And when Peter has either just been arrested or just been executed, we're not sure which, but so he wants to get it down, you know, uh, get Peter's uh, uh, kind of reminiscences down. So anyway, uh, the last five weeks, we've been in chapter two and three, where Jesus has been confronting the religious leaders of his day. And Mark is giving us this preview of coming attractions that's though it's early in the ministry of Jesus, uh, there's already storm clouds brewing. The religious leaders are coming against him. And eventually, of course, a couple years later, they're going to arrest and execute him. And so he's kind of giving us where this story is going. But today we move into a new section. And today, uh, Mark is going to stand back and Jesus is going to pull out from these religious leaders. He's been teaching there in, the, in his hometown, or not hometown, but his home base of Capernaum. It's right on the Sea of Galilee, and so he's going to withdraw to the sea, and he's, begin, he's going to begin to teach now in open air. And, uh, and so there's so many people coming. Uh, his reputation, remember this is a day and age when there, there's no you know, Skype, there's no uh, TV, there's, there's no tweets, there's no, uh, there's no, there's no motor cars, or there's no, uh, you know, in, not any horse and buggy yet. And so uh, in order to, to see someone, you have to go on foot. And so, uh, and so uh, people are now coming not only from the land of Israel, but from outside the borders, uh, from pagan lands to the north, east, and south to come and see Jesus, maybe coming 120, 150 miles as far as uh, a long trip to, to see him. And so uh, Mark's going to start today by uh, kind of painting this picture that, that Jesus is, is becoming more and more popular. People are coming to be healed. They're coming to learn. They're coming to uh, have, uh, be kind of freed from demon uh, demonic uh, work in their lives. And so Jesus turns to his men. And he says, hey, I want you to get a boat ready. And uh, it's getting hard to teach because people are crushing him, uh, just trying to touch him to be healed. And so he's going to get a boat. He's going to teach offshore, uh, which is great because it creates distance between him and the people. But it also, uh, it's great acoustics because if you've ever been like a lake at night or something, you know, just the voices try, uh, go over the lake, travel over like really well. And so uh, what we're going to see today is just a couple scenes. Uh, we're actually going to be moving faster than normal, which is not saying much. But uh, 
we're going to look at one kind of summary passage where Mark just stands back and says, here's what's going on. Uh, his popularity is, is shooting through the roof. People are coming from greater and greater distances. He's healing, teaching, uh, casting out demons. And then a second scene is where uh, Jesus is going to pull back from these crowds, go up into the mountains, and he's going to spend the night in prayer with his father. And the next day, he's going to choose the 12 men who will become the leaders of his movement. And so uh, to just get us oriented today, before we jump in the text, I put there in the back of your note sheet a map. And I wanted to just kind of walk you through that map so we can see what's going on. Uh, you know, the nation of Israel is not a big nation, and I can't remember the exact dimensions at the time of Jesus, but let's just call it about 120 miles from north to south. Um, and, and so it's not real big. Um, it's something about like that. But you, you get oriented there. There at the top in yellow, uh, you see the area called Galilee. And Galilee is this northern region province where Jesus was brought up. It's where he's doing his ministry. You see the town of Capernaum there. That's his home base. It's right by the Sea of Galilee. You notice the Sea of Galilee there. Uh, and then uh, you notice if you go move south, you see the city of Jerusalem, which is, of course, the capital city. And then if you move south of that, you see this area called Judea. So Jerusalem is in the county or region or province of Judea, and that's kind of the borders of Israel. But if you go even further south, you see this area called Idumea. Uh, that's actually uh, outside of Israel's boundaries, and uh, it's, it's, it's Gentile uh, area. If you go over to the right, you see this big sea called the Dead Sea. If you go to the north part of the Dead Sea, you see this line going up, uh, which is the, uh, the, the Jordan River. So there's a, the Jordan River flows between the Sea of Galilee at the north and the Dead Sea in the south. To the east of the Jordan... Uh, was non-Israeli kind of land, and so that was, uh, that was kind of Gentile land as well, and people are coming from the east, east of the Jordan as well. And then if you go up to the very far north, you see these two cities of Tyre and Sidon, and these are uh, two, again, pagan cities, Gentile cities, people are coming from there. So, so these are all, all these terms we're going to see today in the passage. So keep this map handy, and uh, turn with me now to Mark chapter 3. And we'll pick it up at verse 7. So if you've got your Bible or your apps on your phone or your, your notepads or whatever it is, uh, Mark chapter 3, and we will pick it up uh, at verse uh, 7. So Jesus is going to withdraw. In other words, he's been having all this conflict with these religious leaders, and now he's going to withdraw from the city, and he's going to go to the lake, it says. That's the Sea of Galilee. And a large crowd from Galilee is following. And when they heard all he was doing, many people came to him from, here we go. Now, if you have your map in hand, they're coming from Judea. That's the southern part of Israel. Uh, Jerusalem, the capital. Idumea, that's the far south. And the regions across the Jordan, that means the east side of the Jordan, and then to the far north around Tyre and Sidon. And so you got to picture this. I mean, you got, you know, like I said, this is a day and age. Um, there, there are no motorcycles. There are no cars, there are no buses or trains. If you want to see someone, uh, you're going to have to go on foot or unless you're, you know, really wealthy, maybe a chariot, if you have, you know, that kind of a person or whatever. But I mean, it's like there's not a lot of options. And so if you're going to travel 150 miles, 120 miles, I mean, that's a long, long journey. And uh, people are, are hearing reports about Jesus. And so the movement is growing and, and they're, they're now coming. And it says, because of the crowd, verse 9, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him, for he'd healed many, so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him, and whenever evil spirits saw him, they fell down before him, which is an act of kind of fear or, or uh, homage, and they cried out, you are the son of God. And so, again, his disciples are not clear who he is. Uh, crowd is not clear in who he is. The one group that is clear are the demonic spirits, uh, but he gives them strict orders not to tell who he was. He doesn't want them to be part of his PR movement. Uh, and, and also, uh, uh, you know, there was a lot of misconceptions about who the Messiah would be. And so Jesus uh, wanted to reveal his calling slowly. And so he didn't come out right away talking about that. He wanted to reveal it in his time and his way. Okay, so that's the first scene. Scene number one, uh, the movement is growing. Okay. Now, scene number two. Jesus is going to, uh, to, to pull away from the crowds. He's going to go up in the mountains around the Sea of Galilee, or all tall, tall mountains. He's going to head up there, and uh, he's going to get away from the crowds, and he's going to spend a night in prayer. Now, 
Mark doesn't tell us this, but in Luke's account, and all the verses are on your note sheet, in Luke's account, he tells us that Jesus uh, was going to spend the night in prayer. When you're leading an organization, most important thing is the people that you choose to be leaders, you know, with you. And so Jesus is about to choose the leaders of his movement, and he wants to spend the night uh, talking with his father about this, uh, praying about this, maybe praying for them. Uh, we're not sure exactly all he, he talked about, but he's going to spend the night with his father preparing for this big decision in the morning. Morning comes, and now he's going to choose uh, 12 followers. Now, uh, how, many, uh, how many tribes were there in the nation of Israel? 12 tribes, right? So I don't know if you've thought about this, but the, choosing 12 disciples is not an accident. Uh, what Jesus is doing is he's reconstituting, he's restructuring the nation of Israel. It's the start of a new movement of true Israelites, those who truly understand who Jesus is, uh, who the kingdom of God is. They want to be under Jesus' leadership as their Messiah. And so it's kind of the, the new Israel is being birthed here. And of course, as followers of Jesus, when we come after Jesus, we become under his leadership, he becomes our Messiah, we become part of this new Israel uh, of God as well. And so anyway, so here we go. In verse 13, uh, he goes up on the mountainside, he calls to those he wanted, they come to him, he appoints 12, designating them apostles. Now, uh, the word apostle comes from the Greek word apostello. Uh, apostello means to send. Um, so an apostle is someone who's sent, like with a message. And, and so in this case, Jesus is bringing the message, the kingdom of God is near. And so these men will also join him in that movement to start spreading that message. So it says that uh, he chose them for a couple reasons. He appointed 12, designated them as apostles. And, and there's two, kind of two parts of their job description or two parts of their calling. First, he says that they may be What? With him. Let's say it together. That they may be what? With him. Okay, so the first part of their job description, hey, leave your homes, uh, leave your careers. We, we need to travel together. You need to get to know me. I need to get to know you. Uh, you. You need to watch me teach. You need to listen to what I'm saying. You need to learn how to follow me. First part of your job description is just to be with me, okay? Second part of their job description is to join him in his cause. And he, he describes it like this. He says that they may be with him and that he may send them out to preach and have the authority to drive out demons. And so stop and think. Here's what, what is Jesus doing? Jesus is preaching the kingdom of God. He is casting out demons and he is healing. Uh, what will his 12 disciples do? They will preach. They will cast out demons. They will heal. Exact same thing. They're going to be kind of an extension of his movement. Now here it doesn't say heal, but when you get to chapter 6 and he actually sends them out on their first mission, it's exactly what they do, right? So they're, they're going to duplicate the message of Jesus. Their job is to not just be with Jesus, build a relationship with Jesus, but to join him in his movement and to help extend his cause, right? So now we're going to get the list of 12 names. Now we've met five of these men already. Back in chapter 1, we met the two sets of brothers who are commercial fishermen. Remember them? Uh, Peter and Andrew, and then James and John. Uh, in chapter 2, we met uh, this tax collector named Levi, who also goes by the name, we believe, Matthew. Uh, he leaves his tax collecting. So we've met five. Now we're going to meet the other seven. So, so here we go. So he appointed, uh, uh, verse uh, 17, so, 16. So that he, here's the 12 he appointed. A Simon to whom he gave the name Peter. What's Peter mean? Rock, yeah, Rocky. 17, uh, James, a son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Okay, so these are three of the four that he met in chapter one. These three men will become the part of the inner circle of Jesus. Uh, Peter, James, and John will become the three primary early leaders of the movement of Jesus. Of course, the apostle Peter, a great leader in Jerusalem. He'll later write two letters in the New Testament, 1 Peter, 2 Peter. Uh, uh, James was the first martyr, first apostle to be martyred. Uh, we'll see that in the book of Acts. Uh, and then John, of course, he writes the Gospel of John. He writes the letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And he probably writes the book of Revelation. So one of the, the big three. All right, so the list starts with the big three because they're most, most three important. But then we pick up Andrew, the fourth one, you know, Peter's brother. We talked about him already. And then we're going to go on. Uh, and it says he gave them, these, uh, uh, just, uh, he gave them this, uh, this nickname. So verse 17, James, son of Zebedee, his brother John, to them he gave them this nickname, Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. Isn't that awesome? 
Like, if I was a follower of Jesus, I want that name. Like, I want that. I think it's so cool. You know, Joel and his wife, you know, they're moving to Thunder Bay, right? So I think this should be like Joel's new nickname, that we should call him a son of thunder, which almost makes up for living in Canada. Anyway, so, all right, we're having a turn into citizenship, by the way. It's like, uh, we're not going for people with a maple leaf on a flag. Anyway, um, so... Verse 18. So now we, get, so we got Andrew, we got Philip. Uh, we, Philip's mentioned several times in, uh, in the Gospel of John. Bartholomew, don't know a lot about him. Matthew, of course, we think that's the same as Levi. Matthew wrote the Gospel of Matthew. Thomas, there's a famous guy. Uh, Thomas, remember, he was a man who, uh, he, he missed out that first resurrection night that Jesus shows up uh, in the upper room. He's gone uh, disciples get to meet Jesus uh, after his resurrection. He comes back. They said, we met Jesus. He says, what have you been smoking? I don't believe it. I don't buy it. I think you're all crazy. Uh, and he says, I'm, I'm not going to believe it's Jesus alive unless I take my finger. I stick it in the nail prints in his hands. A week later, uh, Jesus shows up and goes, okay. Uh, and, uh, and so he's like, wow. And he falls down, my Lord and my God. And he just worships. It's a high point in the Gospel of John. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses say he wasn't really saying Jesus was God. He was just kind of swearing. Oh, my God. Uh, but that's not really true. All right. So. All right. Um, so, uh, so that, that's, uh, that's, that's Thomas. And James, son of Alphaeus, don't know a lot about him. Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot. Now, here's an interesting one. Uh, the Zealots. Uh, zealots, we, we know later in Israel's history, like around 70 AD, Zealots were like a, a political party. They were kind of like a guerrilla warfare party. They felt like they needed to kind of attack Rome, and so they were these like, kind of like terrorist, uh, uh, freedom fighter type guys would kind of these guerrilla attacks on Rome to drive them out of the country. Um, we don't know if the name Zealot meant that at the time of Jesus, which is about 40 years earlier. We're not sure. If it did, this is very interesting that Jesus kind of recruits a, a freedom fighter to be part of his team uh, and can imagine how cool these dinner discussions would be. You got Matthew, the tax collector, collaborator with the Romans, right, having dinner with the guy who's killing the Romans, you know, incognito. And uh, see, the church of Jesus has always been crazy. It's just like from the very beginning, just, well, doesn't, he doesn't care where you come from. He only cares where you're going. And there's all kinds of us here from different backgrounds. So anyway, uh, and then uh, we have Judas Iscariot, and he says he's the one who betrayed him. Of course, everyone, even reading this story, know that he was infamous uh, as the one who betrayed him. And it's interesting because Judas Iscariot, um, uh, uh, most scholars believe that Iscariot was a town in Judah, in the south, Judea, in the south. And so um, if so, then Judas was the only uh, disciple that was from the south. The, everyone else was from the north which is one more reason you never want to trust people from the South. All right, just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. All right. Joke, joke, all right. JK, all right. Um, all right, so there's the passage, right? So, so, so the passage is scene one, uh, the movement of Jesus is growing, it's expanding, people are coming from all over, Jesus can heal, uh, 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 cast out demons, teach, uh, amazing things are going on. But then he pulls away in scene two, goes to the mountains. Uh, he's going to be with his father, spend a night in prayer, select the 12 men who will become the leaders of his movement. In the book of Ephesians, in the New Testament, uh, the church of Jesus is compared to the new temple of God. And it says the apostles are the foundation, along with the prophets, of this temple. So amazing men, what God did in their life, they became these great leaders. But as we'll see today, they did not start out that way. And so uh, from this passage, what I want to do is highlight today one key principle, a big picture principle that's extremely important for us of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And then number two, to come back and ask two kind of penetrating, uh, challenging questions to see how we're doing, all right? So there in your note sheet, you have a section called the two callings, the big picture. And so let's jump in. Here we go. Uh, the first thing that jumps out at me uh, from this passage, the most important thing that I see in this passage is that as followers of Jesus, uh, we have two core callings in our life. Like, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Uh, Mark says in, that, that, in, that, that as followers of Jesus, we have two core callings. And so let me set this up. Uh, one of the things we've learned in the Gospel of Mark is that Mark has multiple agendas as he writes this. Uh, agenda number one is to explain who Jesus is. 
So we get to know Jesus, his life, his death, his teaching, his resurrection, the meaning of that. But agenda number two is for us to know who we are. Agenda number one is who's Jesus. Agenda number two is what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? And I don't know if you remember this, but way back in chapter one, we talked about this, how the 12 disciples, for, for Mark as he writes this, the 12 disciples become a model of what it looks like to follow Jesus. They become a model for us. So back in chapter one, we talked about this. Remember how they left their nets. They followed him. And we talked about as in our lives, we have to leave our nets, whatever those nets are, we have to leave our past behind to follow Jesus. They're a model. And so today, we're going to see that Mark says that, the, that these men are a model of what it looks like to follow Jesus. Now, here's the interesting thing. The disciples are both a model of what to do and a model of what not to do. In fact, in the Gospel of Mark, more often than not, they're a model of what not to do. Because we're going to see them time and time again. They're going to lack faith. They're going to be full of fear. They're going to be selfish. They're going to be self-absorbed. They're going to be arguing over who's the greatest uh, as they're marching with Jesus to Jerusalem where he's going to get arrested and crucified. They're arguing over who gets to sit on his right and left. Um, they, they, they're, they're, always, they're, 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 they're slow. They just don't get it. Jesus often will say to them, do you still not understand? And so most of the time, uh, the apostles are a model of what not to be in, this, in the story. Now, it's interesting, quick little sidebar here. <clears throat> Many times today, you'll hear someone say, I don't believe the Gospels are an accurate representation of the life of Jesus. We have to look for the historical Jesus. It's not accurate that what they are, they're religious propaganda that was designed by the leaders of the early church to prop up their, uh, their movement, okay? If that's true, they did a really bad job. Because every time, you know, if you're going to write a story of revisionist history and you're the leader, you're going to make yourself look good, aren't you? Because you want people to follow you and respect you. We're going to see that is not the case. Time and time again, they make themselves look bad. They tell the truth about what happened. And this is incredibly encouraging to me because basically we're going to see these guys are very much losers. <laughs> and and uh, let, me, let me ask you, is that an encouragement? Yes, because it means if Jesus can change the world with these guys, think what he could do with us. Yeah. Right? I mean, seriously, we're going to go in time and time again. You'll watch as we go through. Very few examples of them doing something right. Uh, they did a couple things right. And here today, Mark says, hey, let me tell you what it means to be an apostle. Let me tell you what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Let's, let's talk about their model. And I want you to take you to this verse, chapter 3 and verse 14. Let's see what he says. I want to go back to this. So in 3.14, Mark says there's two parts of being an apostle. Remember, there are models. So 3.14 says he appointed 12. He designated them to be apostles. And here we go. First of all, that they may be what? With him. So catch that. We'll talk more about that later. But their first part of their job description was simply to be with Jesus, to travel with Jesus, to get to know Jesus, to listen to his teaching, to let Jesus shape their lives, to watch Jesus teach, to watch Jesus heal, to learn how to do that, right? Their first part is just to, to travel with Jesus. The second part then, he says, verse 15, is to, is to uh, end of verse 14, that they might, he might send them out to preach and they have authority to cast out demons. And so the second part of their job description is not just to be with Jesus, hang out with Jesus, go deep with Jesus. Their job is to join Jesus and help promote his cause by doing what Jesus would do, you see? So there's these two parts. And here's what I want to suggest. For us as followers of Jesus, there are two core callings on every Christ follower's life. The first calling is to be with Jesus, to develop a deep and close personal relationship with Jesus the second part is to join Jesus in his movement, to use our gifts, our time, our resources to help advance the cause of Christ. They're two important, uh, and they're both equally important. Now, here's the thing. In a room like this, here's what I would suggest. For most of us, as Christ followers, we have a natural tendency to lean towards one more than the other, okay? So like some of you here, your natural tendency, when you think of being a Christian or a Christ follower, your natural way of thinking about that, describing that, 
kind of your, your, uh, your paradigm for that is that I have a relationship with Jesus. So to be a follower of Jesus means I, I follow Jesus. I, I pray. I talk with Jesus. Uh, I, I, I read the Bible. I go to church. I learn. I grow. I worship. I love my relationship with Jesus. And that's how your natural leaning is. Others of you lean the other way. You're, you're like, you know, for me, what's important about being a Christian is changing the world. So I've come to Jesus. I want to share the message of Jesus with others. I want to evangelize. Uh, I want to uh, feed the poor. I want to serve. In fact, whenever there's a service opportunity at church, or in the, you're the first one to sign up. In fact, you, you get frustrated. These Christians are always reading the Bible and worshiping. You never do anything, right? And so there's, we, we all tend to have a natural tendency to go one way or the other, okay? So I'm just going to take a little vote here. How many of you say, and you're, you're not going to get in trouble, by the way, Okay. Uh, our natural tendency, you say, my natural tendency is to more to go deep with Jesus on my best days at least and pursue him, want to grow, follow him, know him, love him. How many say that's your natural tendency? Great, good, okay. How many would say, well, my natural tendency is more to get involved, to serve, to change the world, that kind of a thing? Okay, great. Now, now here's what you want to catch, is that we all have a natural tendency, but that both sides are equally our calling. That as a follower of Jesus, it's not either or, it's a both and. And there's a symbiotic, a synergistic relationship between the two. Because as we go deep with Jesus, we're transformed, we get to know Jesus, we actually have the power that we need to go out and change the world. And as we go out to change the world, it's where we need Jesus' help more than ever before. And we look to him for guidance and we learn to trust him for his power and to depend on him, and, and we experience him moving through us, and that fuels our relationship with Jesus, you see? So, so it's not either or, it's a both and. And so today, what I want to talk about is get real practical and say, well, how are we doing as followers of Jesus? How are we doing with these, these two colleagues? And there in your note sheet, you have a section that's called uh, the, the two callings, living it out. And what I want to do is I want to ask you two questions, and I've got to warn you that for some of you, uh, these questions may be a little bit uncomfortable today. Uh, I'm going to push you a little bit. And so uh, uh, if you're uncomfortable, I just want to remind you that that is my job, right? To, to, like my job is to coach. My job is to come alongside and say, hey, you can do better. How, how are you doing here? Let's, let's, kinda, let's pick up the pace or whatever because uh, we want to win, don't we? We want to win. We don't want to get to the end of our life and say, man, I wasted my life. We want to get to the end and say, man, I live life well. I walk with Jesus. I was used part of his cause. Uh, he used me significantly, and so, uh, so we're gonna, I'm, I'm going to push you a little bit today. Some of you are going to feel great today uh, about you say, this is so affirming. Others of you are going to be saying, you know what, I need to make some changes, but here's what I want you to catch. Uh, the goal today is not guilt. Uh, the goal today is direction by the Holy Spirit. So as we're listening, the goal is not to make you feel bad. It's just really to have you evaluate and have your ear towards heaven and say, God, is there something here for me today? And if so, uh, I need to get back on track. Let's do that. Let's do that so we live life well. We live life the way it's supposed to be lived. We, we become the people we're supposed to be. So here we go. First question. The first question then is, are you doing life with Jesus? That are you, in your life, we, we saw that there's these two callings, right? And the first calling is to be with Jesus. And so the question is, are you doing life with Jesus? Now, my hunch is, is our natural response was, of course, I'm a Christ follower. I have the Holy Spirit. Throughout the day, I shoot up a prayer now and then. Of course, I'm doing life with Jesus. But I want to push you a little bit because I think what, the way he would define doing life with him and the way we define it may be different sometimes. Um, so first of all, here's what I want you to catch. As a follower of Jesus, our first calling is to do life with Jesus. The first thing, he called them, he designated 12, so they could be with him. So this shouldn't surprise us, because this is why Jesus has come, to restore this relationship with God. Um, you think of Jesus' life uh, when he was, before he was born, Matthew chapter 1, angel comes to Joseph, says your, your fiance is pregnant, it is from the Holy Spirit. And in that section, Matthew says that one of the names of Jesus will be Emmanuel. Do you remember what Emmanuel means? What's it mean? God with us. And so Jesus, at the start of his life, God is coming to be with us. That's what he wants. At the end of his life, the last night he's arrested, Jesus is praying for his followers. 
the same 12 guys that we're seeing here. And one of the things Jesus prays is there in your note sheet. Before he's arrested, he says, Father, I want those you've given me, talking about his disciples, to be what? With me, where I am. You see, Jesus says, this is why I've come. I came to be with them. I'm dying so they can be with me forever. It's it's what motivates him. I, I don't know if you can even begin to understand the passion that Jesus Christ has for you, that you're worth it to him. You're worth it for him to come and die. You're worth it. It's so that he can be with you and so that you can be with him forever. He's passionate about you. It's what it's all about. And so Jesus calling says the first calling of a Christ follower is to be with him. You see, now for the disciples, in order to be with Jesus, they had to leave their homes, leave their careers, because there was no other way. He's physically here. There's no other way to be with him. Today, as followers of Jesus, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said when he left, I will be with you always to the end of the world. So Jesus is always with us. The question is, are we with him? And so to get at this, there's three bullets there on your note sheet. And I want to go over three key ingredients of what it looks like to do life with Jesus. And so let's press in and see see how this goes. So number one, the, the first thing I think it takes to do life with Jesus is time. And let me, let me say this, before we jump into time, that I think in this whole area of doing life with Jesus, it's very easy to deceive ourselves. In the, God, in the book of James, James write, writes, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself, but do it. So it's easy as Christ was to deceive, to think we're doing life with Jesus when we're not, okay? So for each of these three bullets I'm going to give you, these three points. Um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them because they're fairly self, uh, self, you know, self uh, kind of obvious. Um, but but uh, I wish we had more time to delve in. We just don't at the time. Um, but what I want you to do is just use it as a checklist of your life. Like, how am I doing? Am I doing like, it's easy to deceive ourselves. Yes, I am doing like, when I'm really not. I'm really kind of on my own. And so here's a checklist to run through, see how you're doing. Because it's not one of the three, it's all three. All three play a critical part in doing life with Jesus. Number one, so time. Uh, The first thing it requires is time. And so this, of course, is critical to any relationship, any close relationship. You have to invest time in. And she say, well, what kind of time? I want to identify three different kinds of time, right? Uh, First of all, it's one-on-one time. In order to develop a relationship with Jesus, that we have to learn how to spend time with him one-on-one. Now, uh, Jesus models this in this passage, right? The, the night before he chooses his disciples, what's he do? He goes to spend the night with his father all night long to reconnect father, big decisions tomorrow, nothing more important in the leadership of any organization than who you choose to lead. So, so I need to make the right choices you give me direction. We're going to do life together. They're going to spend the night. Maybe he's going to talk about these men. Maybe he's going to talk about their future. Maybe he's going to pray over them. Uh, I, I don't know what he's, maybe he's praying that they'll say yes, praying that they'll surrender. I don't know what they're praying, but he's going to spend the night one-on-one, right? And so in our lives, to walk well with Jesus, it's one-on-one time. You have to have it. That's the first kind of time. Second kind of time is you need to have time with other Christ followers with Jesus, so I, I don't know, so, so let's call it small group time, for lack of a better uh, term. Uh, the disciples were a group of 12. They were a small group. They were about the size of our life group. Okay? And, and so if you stop and think about it, most of their time with Jesus that we know about was, was group time. And so uh, together, as a group, they would listen, they would learn, they would travel, they would have sleepovers, they would do all the things you know, that they, they did uh, as a group. And so they're learning from one another. As he's talking to one, they're listening in. As he's you know, challenging one, listening and so on and so on. Uh, this week in my life group, the group that I'm in, uh, it was just a fantastic week. Uh, it was, uh, started with some worship. Uh, we went into uh, some time of discussion about the message last week, Religion Kills, about being a force for good. And one of the reasons it was such a great week was that God was stirring in the hearts of people and, and um 
And so long before they'd heard that message, it was stirring in the hearts of people. I always think that the best messages are the ones where the Holy Spirit's already been telling you that before you hear it. And when he tells it, it's like, oh yeah, you know, that confirms it. Uh, and that's what would have been happened. So we had uh, four people in our group that God had been stirring in them a desire to, for service, a desire to make a difference. A desire, and the, the Holy Spirit, and so that message came, I mean, forced for good, and they really spoke to them. So they were just sharing with the group one by one. Here's what God's saying, and here's what we're sensing. And so we, we're going to pray for them as a group. Now, that, that God would direct them, and I know as he directs them, we're going to learn from them. He's going to direct us. Why? Because this is how the body of Christ works, that when we're together, Jesus is with us. This is what a life group is. It's not just hanging out. We're there. Jesus is there. We're gathering on his word. We're, 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 like, we're, we're, when, we're with him. We're spending time with him, but we're with him together. And we learn from one another. Iron sharpening iron. Uh, we, 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 uh, we, we learn about Jesus through what he's doing in each other's lives. And so we need time one-on-one. We need small group time. And then we need time corporately together, like in groups like this. You see, what, what happens in a group like this when we gather on weekends? We gather around the word of Jesus. We gather under the authority of the Holy Spirit. We worship together, and Christ comes and he meets us, doesn't he? And, and so uh, I was talking a couple weeks ago, or just a few days ago, to a friend of mine uh, up in Washington that I performed his wedding about six weeks ago over in Hawaii. I was asking him, how the, how's, how's the marriage going? We're talking about that. And he was telling me all the things he was learning, and it was, it was going well. And, and he said, you know, I was in church a couple weeks ago, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me during worship, and he said, you need to love your wife more. And I love that. That's exactly what should be happening at church. We gather as the people of Jesus, and Jesus is here, and during worship, during the teaching of the word, Jesus is walking throughout this place, and he is talking to one, he's putting it, this is for you on another, this one's for you on another. The person right next to you is hearing the exact same message, but they're getting a totally different message, right, because Jesus is applying it. And this is what happens. And what happens when we're not together? Well, that doesn't happen, you see? And so we need time one-on-one, we need time small group, we need time uh, together with Jesus. And so here's the question for you, is your life reflecting that as a priority to spend time with Jesus, if you're honest? See, one of my big concerns for the church in America and the Western world is that I believe one of the greatest enemies of our spiritual life is busyness. And that we are becoming more and more a culture that is, has to be constantly stimulated, usually with superficial things. And often, we, we live in a culture that we're so blessed. There's so many good things out there, aren't there? There's so many good things to do. Th- those of you who have parents, I think one of the greatest temptations is to over-program your kids. Because we can have the, the good things that, that kind of, they rule out the best things. Uh, we've, got, we've got work, we've got jobs that are important, we have commutes that we have to make, we've got hobbies, we've got incredible video games, we've got music of a, a bazillion, we've got TV with 800 channels, and we have all these options. But if we're not careful, the good becomes the enemy of the best. And we wake up one day and we realize our scat- we are not spending time with Jesus. And the thing is, we will be quick to say, I would love to spend time with Jesus. I'm just so busy. And what we need to have the guts to say is that spending time with Jesus is not a priority in my life. It's not a priority to spend time with him one-on-one. It's not a priority to be in a small group. It's not a priority to go to church regularly, it's not a priority. I, I would love, so, so you say, are you doing life with Jesus? We'd be quick to say yes, but is our life saying no? See? So time, starts with time. Bear in your note sheet, great quote from John Piper, famous author, pastor. I'm constantly astonished at people who say they believe in God, but live as though happiness were to be found by giving him 2% of their attention. Surely the end of the ages will reveal this to be absurd. So are you doing life with Jesus? Is it reflecting your time? Secondly, the second thing we need, it's not just time, it's honesty. And by honesty, I mean honesty with Jesus. And I want you to write down two words to describe this honesty. I want you to write down the words radical, and I want you to write the word down progressive. Because if we're going to grow in our relationship with Jesus and truly be with him, we're going to have to grow in our honesty with Jesus. It's going to have to be a radical honesty, and it's going to be a progressive honesty. So, so let me explain what I mean. 
Well, one of the basic principles of relationship is that if you want to be close with someone, you need to invest uh, not only time, but you need to be honest. In fact, the more honest and vulnerable, the, the, the greater the capacity of relationship. And so one of the greatest principles of, of relationship is that honesty is the key to intimacy in any relationship. So the more honest you are, the more vulnerable you are, the more capacity is for connection and really doing life with someone. I'm say, have you ever spent a whole day with someone, maybe a relative or a friend, and you've been physically with them all day, but you've not been really with them at all? Have you ever done that? Like some of you grew up in homes. You're with your parents a lot, but you're never really with them. Why? Because, because you never shared your heart. You never shared your thoughts. You never shared your dreams. And so it's possible to be with someone physically, not with them emotionally, isn't there? And so, so let, me, let me introduce you to a concept. Every one of us has three selves. We have a public self, we have a personal self, and we have a private self, okay? So public self, who you are, maybe people at the office, how are you doing, your life's falling apart. You say, how are you doing? Great. That's your public self, right? Because if you told them really, they would say, what are you doing? I don't want to hear all that. Like, get a therapist or pay me 160 bucks, one or two, right? So we have a public self. Then we have a personal self. Personal selves, we're sharing real heart stuff, but we're sharing it uh, not at the deepest level. So, so maybe you're going through a really tough time in your marriage and you share with your life group or a friend, yeah, would you pray for me? We've gotten some really tough times in our marriage. You don't go details. You don't tell them you're about ready to kill yourself. You just tell them, you know, that I... I'm going through a, t- a tough time. And so it's personal. And now your level of relationship has greatly increased, hasn't it? You move from public to personal. It's becoming a real relationship. And then, and then your private self. Your private self is who you are in the dark when there's no one there. Your deepest thoughts, your deepest fears, your deepest uh, dreams, your, deepest, uh, your, your emotions, your motives. It's, it's who you are, the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's your, and usually most people don't share that with very many people, maybe one or two people in their inner circle, uh, but that's a private self. Now, here's what, as we move from, from public to personal to private, the level of relationships going up, okay? The, the more, as, as this relationship's going deeper, the withness of the relationship is going up. I say, and so with Jesus, if we want to do life with Jesus, we have to learn to be radically honest the good, the bad, and the ugly, our hopes, our dreams, our fears, our doubts, our temptations, the things we're proud of, the things we're ashamed of, we have to learn to be radically honest and progressively so over time. And, and here's what you find. It, it feels kind of risky, right? But here's what you find. The more honest with Jesus you are, the more you'll get to experience his grace. Because what you find is that Jesus is actually the safest person in the world to be honest with, because there is no condemnation for those in Christ. And so as we, as we begin to share with Jesus our, our hopes, our dreams, our fears, as, and, and we invest that time, what happens is our relationship, our withness goes up. We become more with him and he with us. You see this in the life of the disciples. They were always, as we'll read through Mark, they were always trying to hide their true selves from Jesus. So, so they were like, they didn't want him to know when they're scared to death in the boat. They didn't want him to know when they were, they were arguing over who would be the greatest. They didn't want him to know uh, when, they, when they were like freaked out that he was going to Jerusalem. They, they, they didn't want him to know. They were trying to hide them true selves. But of course, they're with him all the time. They couldn't hide their true self. But here's the thing. When they were most honest is when his greatest insights would come into their life. And here's the thing. Jesus' greatest insights for your life will come at the point of your greatest honesty. Okay? So it's not just time with, it's honest time with. Right? Now, third, the third thing that we need is surrender. Because if you want to walk with Jesus, you have to follow Jesus. Because basically when it comes to Jesus, it's either his way or the highway. Okay? So we saw this early on in Mark chapter 1 when Jesus came. What was his message? He said, repent for the kingdom of God is near. In other words, like if you want to be part of my kingdom, you have to repent at a core level. You have to change the way you think. You have to, you're going one direction, you have to go a different direction. You, you're running your own life, you have to come under my leadership. And so if you want to walk with Jesus, you have to follow Jesus. 
So when you come to a fork in the road, if you say, hey, Jesus, I think we should go left, and Jesus says, no, we need to go right, guess what? He's not changing his mind. He's not like, oh, you're right. I don't know what I was thinking. Just kind of got lost there for a minute. And like, oh, yeah, you got a point. Let's try it your way, see how it goes. You know? It's like, it's not going to work that way. He's going to go like this. He's going to say, no, listen, we need to go right. That's why I'm going. If you want to go, if you want to walk with me, you need to follow me. If you want to walk your own path, you can do that, but we'll no longer be walking together. We'll no longer be with me, you see? And so to, to walk with Jesus, to do life together, three critical components, uh, time, honesty, and surrender. And there are many Christ followers who think they're walking with Jesus or want to believe they're doing life with Jesus when they're not that we're self-deceived. They're kind of living our own life, doing our own thing, um, and we're shooting up prayers from time to time, and therefore we think we're with Jesus, and we're not. He's on a whole different path. When Jesus, when we don't follow Jesus, and we keep on walking, all we're doing is taking a walk. We're not not with him, okay? So three critical components. Now, the second question, though, Remember, there's two parts to our calling, right? So the calling, the first part is to do life with Jesus. We talked about that part. The second part is to join him in his cause. That they, they were uh, not only called to be with him, they were called to go out and preach. They were called to go out and cast out demons, heal the sick, do what Jesus does, uh, extend his movement. Now, we all have different callings. We're not all called to be apostles. So you may not be called to cast out demons. You may not be called to heal the sick. You may be. That's awesome if you are. But uh, you may not be. But we all have a calling. And so, uh, and part of that calling is to help Jesus uh, use, you know, extend his kingdom. Now, if we had time, I would give you three words for this, all right? You notice on your note sheet, you only have one bullet place, okay? So I'm only going to give you one word. But let me tell you what the other two words are in case we did, if we did have time, right? So I know we don't have time. Let me tell you what the other two would be. You can write them in the margin uh, if we did have time. We won't spend much time there, but uh, they would be, first of all, would be the word time. You know, here's the thing. It's easy to deceive ourselves. The question is, do you care about the cause of Jesus? It's just like it's easy to deceive ourselves we're with him when we're not. It's easy to deceive ourselves that we really care about the cause of Jesus when we don't. Okay? And so, so first of all, like the first word would be time. Like does your life reflect? Are you investing your time in the advancing of his kingdom? Is that happening? A second word, I wish we had time for this, we don't, but it's money. Jesus was so clear. He said, Hey, don't store up your treasure on earth, store up your treasure in heaven. He said, because where your treasure is, there will your what? Your heart be. So he says that you can tell what you care about by what you invest your money in. And so frankly, if someone says, I care about, I care about the cause of Jesus, but it's not reflected in their checkbook, chances are that person is deceiving themselves. Right? They, don't, they say they care, but they don't, really, they don't really care. It's not reflected because Jesus said that, right? Okay, so those, those are what we're not going to talk about. We're not going to talk about time. We're not going to talk about money. Here's what I want to talk about. I want to focus on the area of gifts, okay? The word is gifts. So we've, we've talked about the apostles. They have their calling. They have their gifts. What we learn in the New Testament is that when we come to Jesus, that every one of us receives what the Bible calls spiritual gifts, and they're they're, they're they're, ab- they're supernatural abilities to help advance the cause of Jesus. That's what they're, they're about. And so one of the analogies that's used time and time again is the body of Christ. That when you become a part of Jesus, you're part of his body. He's the head, we're his hands, we're his feet, we're different parts. We all have a part. And what the New Testament says time and time again is it's vital that every one of us is using our gift to extend the movement of Jesus, to, to advance the cause. And so the question is, are you using your gifts? The question is, do you care about the, the, the cause? And, if the, and, and one way to measure is, by, are you using your gifts? And so, uh, for example, there in, Mar- in Ephesians 4, here's one of those passages. It talks about the body of Christ. It says, from him, talking about Jesus, from him the whole body grows and it builds itself up in love as each part, what? Does its work. Let's say it again. As each part, what? Does this work? So, so the question is, what happens when each part is not doing its work? We don't grow. 
The body doesn't grow. The body gets weak. It gets anemic. It gets emaciated. The body of Jesus is not a powerful force in the world it was created to be. Does that sound like any church you know about? Sounds like Church America to me, right? You know, we you have polls, what, 75% or something crazy are supposedly Christians in America? I'm not seeing it. And if so, I'm not seeing the impact on our culture, right? What's happening? What's happening is that each part's not doing its work, and what happens is a huge temptation for us to buy into consumer Christianity, where it's, it's all about us. You know, we just go, and it becomes like, oh, do I like the music, or I don't like the music, or I like the lights up, I like the lights down, I like the message, I don't. I like Joel more than Mike. Why is he leaving? Um, you know, it's like, uh, uh, you know, it just becomes like, oh, you know, what do they have for my kids? What do they have for this? And what about this? And, what they, and so we just become consumers. We're not asking the question. We're not asking the right question of, am I advancing the cause of Jesus in my life, with my time, and my gifts, and my resources, is the movement of Jesus moving a little bit faster, a little bit farther, because I'm in the game? You know, or am I sitting in the sidelines? Am I on the bench, right? And so the question is, um, you know, uh, one of the questions it raises is, well, you know, how do you, how do you know your gifts? And uh, I think in a room like this, there's three kinds of people. Uh, number one, there's, there's people that <clears throat> you know what your gifts are, and you are being very faithful with your gifts, and <clears throat> you've, you've talked to Jesus about this, and you feel really comfortable and confident that you know what their gifts are and, and how he wants you to use them, and you're using them. It's just awesome. And so this is a day of affirmation for you. Go, way to go. Keep at it. Uh, others of us here would be a second category. We'd say, you know what? I know what my gifts are. God's been clear. But to be honest, I'm, I'm not in the game. Uh, maybe for whatever reason, life got busy, or I took a break, or, but I'm just not in the game. And, and I think there are times we take a break, and so that's all good, rest up and all that. And, but, there's, you know, but there's times you, you take a break and you never get back in the game. And so, and so we can look and say, um, yeah, I know what they are, but I'm not in the game. And then there's a third kind of person, and that person is a person who says, you know what, <clears throat> I, I, um, I'm not really in the game, and I don't know what my gifts are. I don't know how to find them. And if that's you, this is such an important issue. This is why... When we are creating our essential courses here at Rocky Peak. One of the essentials is called, uh, discover, is called uh, sac- serving sacrificially, uh, discovering your purpose. Because it's so important that we carry out this core calling of Christ followers that we would all know. So there's a whole course that's online. You can take it anytime you want where uh, we help you figure out, you know, your personality, how God's wired you, your life experiences, your natural abilities, your spiritual gifts, your passions, uh, and we help you figure that out. But we obviously don't have time to go into all that today, so let's just take a, a quick shortcut to get us in the ballpark. I, I think one, one way to look at this is to ask two questions, uh, what am I good at and what do I care about? And uh, there on your note sheet, there's a great quote. Uh, it's by uh, Peter Drucker. Peter Drucker was the most famous uh, world international business consultant of the 20th century, also a believer. And uh, in this passage, uh, uh, this, this quote, it's from uh, in a book by Bob Buford called Second Half. It says, Peter Drucker uh, suggests that, there, there are, um, that these are the two most important questions in helping you discover the unique role God has prepared beforehand for you to walk in. The questions are, number one, what have you achieved? It deals with competence. So it's like, what are you good at? Okay? Secondly, uh, what do you care deeply about? What's your passion and, and usually those things are going to, within the boundaries of that, you're going to find your calling. And so here we go. It says, the goal is to find something that fits within the boundaries of these two questions, something you're good at, something that really excites you. If you look deeply enough inside of you and are honest about combining your competence with your passion, you will find the mission that's best suited for you. I think that's great advice. It's a great place to start. And so here's what I'd suggest if you're here to, I don't care what category you're in, but if you feel like you're not in the field, you're, you're, in, the, you're in the stands, or you're on the bench, here's what my suggestion, my suggestion is you go to Jesus, very simply, and you say, Jesus, uh, I have been neglecting my calling, and, and I, I've been neglecting helping you come to cause. I've been a consumer. I, I want to repent of that. I want to get in the game. 
Your word tells me you've given me certain gifts. I don't know what those are, but I want to use them. And if you will show me, I will do it. Okay, so you, have, you start with that conversation. Would you show me? And then you watch and you continue to pray about that and you see what God does. But here's often what happens is you, you need to do a couple things that, that as opportunities come up, you need to experiment. Sometimes it's going to take two or three things to find the right thing. You see, experiment. Uh, and, and then secondly, you need to practice it. Because even in the realm of spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts only get better when we practice them. Like, like for example, I don't care uh, if you have the, the most natural ability to be a shortstop in the world. Okay? You're not going to be a great shortstop. You're not going to play shortstop for the L.A. Dodgers without hours and hours and hours of practice. And it's the same in the spiritual realm. You know, I'm so proud of Joel. Uh, it was, it's interesting. You know, uh, in December... I was, uh, I was uh, not teaching that weekend, and I was away, and so that next week, I was podcasting Joel. I was doing the video podcast, and, uh, and so I was on my treadmill and working out and what, listening to Joel, and I was just so impressed with his message. It was a great message, and, and I, just, I said to myself that day, he's ready. He's ready, and in January, he got the call, and you know, and it's, and you know what's cool is that he wasn't always ready. You know, he wasn't always, none of us were, right? When he came six years, he wasn't ready. But what's happened is Joel has worked on his craft and he's practiced and he's prayed and he sought God and God's blessed that and he's become a great communicator, right? And now he's ready. And guess what? It's the same in your life, same in my life, is that God gives us spiritual gifts but we don't get better at it. I don't care what the gift is without practice. Like you have to get in the game. It's the only way, you see? And just like the disciples, that the start of the story were really, gosh, you know, not paragons of virtue, right? But they're gonna go on to change the world. And the reason is that though they made a ton of mistakes, they stuck with Jesus, they followed him, they invested the time, they were, they were honest. They let him speak in their life. They surrendered to his leadership. They left their nets. And then what happened is that Jesus transformed them to become game changers. And it's the same exact for us. And so the question is, do you care about the cause? Are you spending time? Are you doing life with Jesus? These are the two core callings of the Christ follower. Let's pray. Father, uh, we just love your word. It is so brilliant. And I love what Mark wrote. I love that he spelled it out this way, that, that Jesus, you called your men to two things, to be with you and to join you in the cause. And, and this is a calling for every one of us. And so, Jesus, we pray that whatever our need is, that you would speak to us and that we would be a church and we would be people we're running hard to know you and love you, that we would love you more than anything in life. You would be our first love. You would be our deepest passion. You'd be our highest priority. And, and that out of that relationship, ministry would flow out of our lives. And that we would care deeply about your cause. And that we'd do our part to build up the body of Christ. We pray these things in your name. And Lord, as we come now into a time of worship, uh, as we bring our gifts that are expression of our commitment to the cause of Jesus, we pray that you use these to create a place where the message of Jesus is going out with force and power, where people are coming to be saved and come to know you and are being unleashed to join you in your movement. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Hey, I hope you can be with us next week as we continue this journey. Fascinating passage next week. Uh, the religious leaders take their criticism of Jesus to a new level, and they, they actually accuse him of kind of partnering with Satan, that uh, the reason he had so much power was he was uh, kind of energized by Satan, which in case there's any doubt, it's really not a great accusation to make. And uh, Jesus is going to come down pretty hard on them, uh, and so... Next week, we're going to be talking about 
uh, the two kingdoms and as followers of Jesus, how we come into the kingdom of light and the authority and power that we have over the kingdom of darkness because of our connection with Jesus. And so I hope you can be with us as we continue this journey. Uh, until then, may you be carrying out the two core callings of a Christ follower. May you be run passionately after Jesus this week. May you ask him to create a new love in your heart for him. May he be your first love, your highest, your deepest passion, your highest priority. And, and as you're with him, then I want you to be asking him, what is your part in this kingdom, this, this kingdom cause? And what does he have for you? And maybe you're right on track, maybe some mid-course corrections, maybe some steps to take, maybe take that course online, whatever it is. But may this be a week that you carry out the two core callings of the Christ follower is that as the church of Jesus at Rocky Peak, we be a church that is passionately pursuing Jesus Christ and passionately carrying out his kingdom for the sake of his name and his fame until he comes again. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you.